0: Welcome to the Eric Deems Show. I'm your host, Eric Deems, the chief of the show here. You can reach me, chief, at ericdeemshow.com or on the socials at Eric Deems Show. I hope you tuned in to our week in review segment, of The Deems List. What a week we had last week. The saga continues. What a world we're in. But um, it is a new day, and um, nonetheless, here we are. Listen, thank you. I appreciate you tuning in. This has been uh, a lot of fun for me to come here. Tickle your ears with pragmatic prowess. I love it. Coming from the Midwest, it was just ingrained in me that um, there was just this level of pragmatism, common sense, uh, Judeo-Christian values, this idea that uh, motivation can be found from within and, and from your community, and there's joy in life. Uh, Personal responsibility is key, and cultural stewardship falls to each of us. So as I think of what to talk about today, um, the religion of Trumpism. Now listen, I, (laughs) I voted for Donald Trump twice, okay, and... I have been a big fan of a lot of what the administration has been able to achieve. It's been great for business, pre-pandemic. Could you imagine? It was like we couldn't, uh, we couldn't mess up. The world was doing very well. Uh, we were doing very well despite what was happening in the world. We were cleaning up a lot of um, negotiations with our role in the world. And I'm okay with an American first philosophy. I want our leaders, hello, they're our leaders. I want them to think about us first, putting us in the best position, and then helping around the world. I mean, we've all been in an airplane, and if you haven't, um, you can pretty well understand this analogy you put the mask on yourself before you help somebody else. The oxygen mask that would come out of the ceiling should there be an issue on the plane. Well, we've had issues in our country for a while, and the free fall just kept going. It's like, okay, what's happening culturally, institutionally? You you keep looking around, you're like, what's going on with this country? And it's nothing new. Trump is an effect from a deeper cause that's been decades in the making. And uh, we finally got tired and said, okay, well, we've got to do it. So I, I understand you've got to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. Um, from you know, our role with World Health Organization, the UN, NATO, the list goes on, where we've either stepped away um, or leveraged stepping away to negotiate better deals, um, All this stuff has benefits for America, but at what cost? Last week, we saw a pretty dramatic cost, uh, a mostly peaceful protest. (laughs) It's very interesting, right, how we call that a a mostly peaceful protest and everybody's just clutching their pearls, whereas in, in the summer of 2020, when race riots seemingly were occurring, looting and vandalism and catching our streets on fire and burning down businesses, um, you know, oh, these are justified. It seemed like that was kind of the message we were getting from members of the media. And now we're clutched, they're clutching their pearls. Oh, can you believe this is happening in Washington? Well, no, actually, I couldn't believe that it would happen, but I'm not surprised because you can't continue to fan the flames of violence and w- with harsh rhetoric and, and, then get, and then start complaining whenever uh, there is a fire and a pretty big one. Um, Listen, you can't justify it, right? I'm just trying to say uh, there's blame, and there's a cause, and there's an effect. And we've been living in a world of effect. And that world of effect is Trumpism. And what is Trumpism? Listen, when I was in high school, we were banned from using Wikipedia. But it has become a great place here to go. Um, i know they 're probably going to hit you up for some money, too, so uh, you know do what you can but Trumpism uh, if you go there it 's this is political ideology, style of government, populism where donald trump um, i mean Donald Trump is the king of trumpism right and this and he 's kind of the most popular well he is the most popular um, kind of populist leader and and kind of that strong man style uh, of leading. Mm-hmm. Then you start reading, you know, is he really? Is that really great for leadership? Is that a leader? So I'm going to go into a lot here today. I'm going to dive into the religion of Trumpism, talk about what that looks like. I'm going to reference a talk that I got to um, be part of as an audience participant with Colin Powell and Madeleine Albright discussing, you know, what has happened in the world. Colin Powell was not only a general— um, but then also Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, first female Secretary of State. They both come with uh, just a lot of diplomacy. Remember that word? Diplomacy? Yeah. I really enjoyed their talk. It was, um, it it reminds you of a time when, when you didn't have to worry so much about who's in the driver's seat, let alone who's in the car. Uh, for our country. So, um, you know, I think Donald Trump served his purpose to shake things up. The question is, where do we go from here and how does that affect the Republican Party? So I'm going to give some thoughts on that and what I think should happen. And then, uh, how many of you are familiar with the Enneagram? The Enneagram is, basically it's personality. Who you are, makeup of personality. I'm probably underselling it. Um, but I want to go into the author Donald Miller posted something on um, his Instagram the other day about Donald Trump and him being an eight. An eight is a type of the Enneagram. The Enneagram, just for real quick, they have nine different types of personalities. Um, Go to EnneagramInstitute.com. They have a lot of information on there. We'll post it in the show notes. Um, Something for you to look at. I am an 8, a type 8. It's the challenger. It's the person that likes to poke buttons, right? So uh, on Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENTP. On the disc, I'm a really high I, really high D, very low SC. So you're getting a picture of kind of who I am, personality, all of that kind of thing, as if you didn't already know. Um, And I love to talk, which is why you're here, because you enjoy hearing it. At least I hope so. And if not, let me know, chief at ericdeemshow.com. Um, we've finally gotten to the place where we have some, uh, you know, the the uh, the show critics. Uh, but you know, those show critics, I don't want to bore you with with them being on the uh, on the air because they're so one dimensional in, in their attacks, and so you know they're probably just bots. But uh, you know, everything's complex, nothing is simple. If you're gonna critique uh, you know, my calling out President Trump and his rhetoric and say that, uh, well, I thought you were a supporter of Trump. Well, okay, there are a lot of people who are supporters of Donald Trump in the sense that, one, they're Republicans. Two, they like the policies and the America first agenda that they feel like has been forgotten being put forth. And three, they like that he gets things done. That doesn't mean that they're going to him as a guru for everything else in their lives. And it's really, it's surprisingly hard for some of these people to really understand that. So well, maybe we'll talk about them at some point, some other day. But um, I want to dive into what does it mean to be the Enneagram? And then there are healthier, uh, healthy versions of um, your type and then not so healthy versions. And uh, I would submit to you that um, Donald Trump probably isn't at a level one, which is whenever they're at their best. Um, He's had a lot of challenges uh, in recent years, for sure, especially in recent weeks. But he's also not somebody that uh, we're we're too shocked and surprised to know. Eights believe that they must be in power and they must be in control. They must project that powerful image so that others would not dare to reject them. That's probably um, an average to weaker uh, type of eight. But, you know, we'll get into this. Let's go back to when it all started. Almost to the escalator ride down, Trump Tower, right? We were all enamored at the fact that billionaire Donald Trump the guy that I actually really enjoyed watching on The Apprentice. I love The Apprentice. I especially loved the Celebrity Apprentice versions. Joan Rivers, God love her, may she rest in peace. That was probably my favorite uh, season. But, you know, when you're from Belprie, Ohio, and you live in southeastern Ohio, um, the Appalachian corner of the state, seeing a billionaire in uh, Manhattan and the... Uh, The lavish trappings of his life. That's real appealing, especially for a dreamer like me. And I know many people saw Donald Trump as it. He was a fan and a friend of a lot of celebrities. Folks that, uh, as soon as he decided to descend the escalator, uh, lost his number. Interesting, huh? Well, Donald Trump, he started with a bang, too. Um, All the cameras were on him because he brought celebrity well, we can talk about that. Are we to a point now where only celebrities really can run? If that's the case, count me out. This is not—that's not what I want to be a part of. But nonetheless, he had nothing to lose except, uh, you know, anything on his own. He was already a billionaire. He didn't—he couldn't be bought, right? You can't come in and, and offer him a bunch of money. He already has a bunch of money. Um, I'm sure there—you could argue with me on that, on some other things, but. Let's just stay above board here and, and have a bigger, bigger discussion of what's going on. We watched that. We watched him systematically use rhetoric like um, fake news, right? Up until that point, you know, if you're reading the newspaper, if you were like me, I'm reading multiple news sources. Um, newspapers have declined a lot, but, you know, back then, even just four or five years ago, uh, there were still uh, p- pretty regular, you were going out in public quite a bit, you grabbed the paper in the morning, that kind of thing, and dropped at the door. Yeah, all that's happening. Man, just thinking back to all those uh, going into the coffee shops pre-pandemic. Uh, anyway, let me come back here to our um, interesting reality. Um, we also didn't complain about all the sacrifices at the high altar of Donald Trump. Again, this it's become a religion. This Trumpism has become a religion. Trumpism without Trump is going to be even more interesting and more telling, right? Because every Republican in the House and the Senate, with the exception, I think, Cory Gardner in um, in the Senate in Colorado, won. So and they grew and they grew their margins of leadership there. The, the Republicans um, increased, except for now. And now we know the Senate. With Georgia. Um, Loeffler and Purdue both lost, so now there's effective control of both the House and the Senate. But hear me out on this. When Donald Trump was running, there were like, what, 15, 16 people running against him? And he was so new because he, he decided to go against decorum. And that should have been really early warning signs of what could potentially happen, right? But he, he was. We knew he was going to buck the system. That's why we liked him. We got tired, especially the decline of the white working class. You know, read Hillbilly Elegy, those kinds of books, Dreamland. It talks about how the opioid epidemic um, as well as uh, trade deals happened. It, it really, especially in the Appalachian region, decimated towns, people, uh, lost lives, their livelihoods. Many lost their lives. These folks didn't feel like Washington or any political person ever cared or worked for them. That's how you had a billionaire, a billionaire who was loved by um, the rural guy from Alabama. Uh, Remember when he went down, was it at Talladega where he he flew over? and I mean, thousands and thousands. This guy had rock star status. He would have tens of thousands of people coming to see him. His um, his rhetoric was entertaining. It was very divisive. We were willing to uh, we, we were willing to accept it, but um, maybe we shouldn't have. At least to the degree we did, because we became a bit desensitized to it. It was really funny when he was standing up there and he said, "Little Marco." Right when he was running against Marco Rubio, it was really funny when he said Lion Ted or Low Energy Jeb. He systematically picked off each one of his opponents, exposing stereotypes and things that have some truth to them. Right? That's the thing about stereotypes. And that's also the thing about bullies. They tend to pick on things that have some truth to them. We don't want a bully in the White House, we don't want a bully. Bullies really aren't leaders. They may be able to get into leadership positions, but are they really leaders? I would submit to you that the answer is no. Bad versions of the Enneagram 8 are really toxic. Um, you know, when they get in danger, they feel like they need to destroy everything. Really healthy ones, well, they're self restrained, they're magnanimous, they bring people together, champion a common goal. So there was this idea that we this country that we love, that we kept seeing socially, things were just being torn apart, institutions being ripped apart. We've talked about a lot of how this has happened in previous episodes. Folks getting into social media, the the you know, the the 24-hour news cycle. So every twenty minutes or so you have to have a breaking story. And well, there just aren't that many breaking stories, so we gotta focus on the bad. And so because we focus on the bad, everybody feels that the world is a lot worse off than it is, and their fellow man is probably out to get him, when he probably isn't. And where do we end up? Well, we end up in a 2016 election. And I stayed up that night, and I absolutely loved watching. I mean, these people were just so in the bag for Hillary, so in the bag on the left. I mean, the bias that our news media has is a bit disgusting, Right. That's why there's been such a, a uh, this surge of alternative media. It's a great opportunity. I love it. Podcasts are growing. I love that. Independent newspapers and 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 emails and all this stuff, people that are getting knocked out of the New York Times because they're not tolerant enough, when really they are. They just have a difference of opinion. Okay. It's all right to have a difference of opinion if you... <laughs> So funny, the tolerant crowd. They're, they're only tolerant if you agree with them. But they're now starting to Andrew Sullivans, who I'm thinking of, Barry Weiss is who I'm thinking of, uh, they have uh, you know, their own columns now that are just emailed directly to you. That's good. You know, you got to also temper that against the other side of it, and that people, once again, going to their own corner, you know, reading what they want to read, what they want to hear. Which is what happened in social media, Facebook before they started cracking down on all these things. Now they're cracking down on conservatives and shadow banning and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> the way you never know what to believe anymore. Um, you know, is it is it really shadow banning? Is it really a big tech government conspiracy? Well, the fact that big tech has that kind of control and can pull it off, as we've mentioned before, is a problem. Big tech censorship is a real problem, especially since everything's in the cloud now, and you have to pay to access stuff that's yours. Okay, so I'm just painting a picture here of what's happening. We didn't like some of the rhetoric that was going on with Trump. Some of it we felt was really justified, using his stereotypes to attack people that we thought, yeah, they're underperforming. Yeah, they're only there because of a family member. Yeah, they're, they're not really the most qualified. They're not there on merit. And so we we really liked some honesty, brutal honesty, in fact. But it also came be, with this, you know, the side effect of bullying, and I think it really tore down the decorum of dialogue. And that's one of the things that um, Colin Powell and Madeline Albright talked about in their discussion. They said, you know, there used to be this idea of a social contract in America where um, I'm, I'm here and I'm taking care of my home, but I'm also taking care of my neighborhood, my street, and I care about my neighbor and I care about their kids because they care about mine. And this idea that as you know, we drive down the street, we're going to do so civilly. As we pass each other in the grocery store, we're going to do so civilly. We're going to build friendships and relationships and um, we're going to have positive um, dialogue. And even if it's challenging, there's the discourse can still occur because there's a social contract that I'm still going to respect and value you and, as a person. And I'm not going to do something that harms and hurts you. Well, fast forward to last week, there were people that got hurt. People, followers of Donald Trump who hurt people and who got hurt. It went too far. The social contract's been ripped. Listen, social contract's been ripped in many pieces. You know, Earlier this year, or actually in 2020, I'm so glad it's hindsight. But in 2020, when we had all of the um, BLM riots and looting, again, social contract. And, and the worst part is, um, and you heard a lot of the uh, black community leaders saying, you're tearing up your own neighborhood. What are you doing? This is not—so the social contract—and there is so much. I am just scratching the surface. There is so much to unpack and unwrap on that piece of it, right? Especially in a community, the black community, especially when when you hear and read The New Jim Crow, where we're taking kids in the black community out of failing schools, decrepit, failing, falling-in schools— and they end up in state-of-the-art prisons. This is not good, right? And, and then, oh, well, they need to have an example. They need to have a, a, a father figure, a mother figure, somebody that's, okay. Well, are, are you willing to have an honest discussion about that? Because when you go back just a couple of generations, uh, in some instances, um, that relative was property, are we willing to have that discussion of how that might have led to a breakdown in the familial evolution of what it is to have positive influences in the home okay cuz if we're going to talk about it let's actually talk about it right so i mean that's so much so much to deep uh, to take a deep dive into when it comes to the social contract what that means what it means for different groups so on and so forth but Powell and Albright, you know, they said our nation was the city on a hill that um, was a beacon of hope to so many places around the world. And that light has been diminished. It's been diminished. Um, It it feels really dark right now just because of the pandemic and because of everything uh, that I know you all have gone through, that I've gone through in the last year. Hopes that have been put on hold, uh, dreams that have been quashed because of it, and you know, we'll shine again. It's, but it's going to take, take all of us working together to make it happen. You know, there's a sense of um, th- the fact that Joe Biden is boring, I really like. <laughs> okay, Now, he's got tons of Biden baggage that uh, we're going to continue to unpack, and I hope that justice is served, especially for his family members. But there's almost this kind of collective breath that gets let out. It's like, okay, let's actually get to work. And the Republicans, my party, the Republicans have to really get to work. What is it, How are we going to make a compelling argument? Right, Trump got more minority votes, more uh, female votes, what, uh, more black votes, brown votes, female votes. He actually lost on the white males, uh, a few points. So the Republican policies, these this ideology, this America first, you know, make it happen. This Trumpism, well, that really resonated well among a lot of communities. How does the Republican Party move forward? without Trump, but with a more civil version of Trumpism. Has the Republican Party become the new big tent? I would submit to you that it has the chance to do that, especially when the left is talking about adding more states, Puerto Rico, D.C., splitting up California. Well, if that happens... We're really, uh, we're really in for a world of hurt because now you know these are going to be democratically controlled um, and it's going to be a democratic majority in the Senate and in the House for uh, the unforeseeable future. And then you've got to worry about the Supreme Court stacking the court, all that, st- the Green New Deal. <laughs> I mean, the stuff where they, they claim is based in science, which is not. That's going to be what's taking over. So the Republicans have a huge opportunity to take back their party, define how Donald Trump plays a role in it. He's the de facto leader of the party. The question is, has he overstayed his welcome? And it's really hard to say that he hasn't in light of last week. That just, the, the uh, attack on the Hill, and I know some of you think it was staged and all that. Listen, put all that aside. Perception is reality. Whatever people in America saw, that's the reality they see. And most people watching that said, this, is, this was a, a step too far. This is not how we conduct ourselves as Americans. And it's a big wake-up call to many of us. It's a, it's a wake-up call to many of us. Hopefully, it's a wake-up call for us to read and understand our Constitution you know, we love playing the, the role of nation-building around the world. Well, now we get to play that for ourselves. What do we want the future of America to look like? And, and really, children, they are the future. So we need to look at education. We need to look at how are we going to structure a future that is competitive around the world in the 21st century, not continuing to, you know, play political games with, or $2,000 stimulus payments so that we can bail out our uh, crony friends in other state governments or cities. I mean, there's such a mess, such a mess, but such an opportunity at the same time. And I think people are realizing it. I think people are realizing it. America was an experiment and still is. I mean, even Ben Franklin, when he was asked, what do we have, a republic or a monarchy? He said, a republic, if you can keep it. And that's the question, can we keep it? We're not supposed to be ruled by the mob. Our founders and framers of the Constitution were clear about this. It's a constitutional republic, not just a straight democracy. So what are we going to do? A lot of people that I know are in the boat of Trump as a religion. The sad part, many of these people are the same folks who say they dislike jerks. The people who are jerks, the, the people who are mean and nasty, I mean, they would never want to know these folks. I'm thinking of parents, especially the evangelical crowd. It just it doesn't make sense how uh, my parents' generation, 50s and 60s, right? So that crowd and older they, they loved the, the folks that are in the Trump boat there. It's like, finally. And it makes sense when you look at their lives and what's happened in their lives, and how they feel like they've lost their country. I get it. They've become these disciples of the religion of Trump, but I think it makes them really easy to be played by charlatans out there willing to sell false hope in the fraudulent election. Listen, I, I believe there was fraud in the election, but where's the evidence? Show us the evidence. Instead, these folks keep playing on these fears and asking for donations to the legal defense fund. And we still haven't seen. We still haven't seen anything. So it it goes way beyond being a loyal Republican, which I think is really sad. And, And it shows that maybe I mean maybe we are beyond. The two-party system at this point. Maybe that's what the catalyst. Maybe that's what this is going to bring. Where, um, in fact, uh, Albright and um, Powell actually talked about this idea where clash, clashing ideologies are replaced with clashing tribes, especially in post-Cold War. They've seen this in other countries where, and and they you know they referenced. Um, I think he's an author, maybe even a political scientist, Huntington, talking about this. Where when cold wars occur in countries and we come back in and do the nation building, what we find is uh, clashing ideologies that led to the Cold War end up turning into clashing tribes where ideologies are kind of out, and people that are look, sound, feel, and are similar end up creating. And you know, we how many of you have heard of the tribalism that's happening in the u s, right? I mean, there are folks from, Democrats, Republicans, and independents who all voted for Donald Trump. It's true. Same thing with Joe Biden, by the way. Just not to the same uh, extent, I don't think. Um, But uh, how do we allow the tribes to exist? Because they're here. People have their tribe. That is what it is. While also reinstituting this social contract. The two-party system... One of the things they went on to say was the two-party system is such now where they don't, where each party doesn't care about the other, and it's a really big deal because nobody's arguing anymore. And isn't that true? The Senate is supposed to be the great deliberative body where senators can, you know, wax eloquently for hours about points. When does that happen again? I love C-SPAN. I've been watching it since before it was cool, and. In my lifetime, it's gone from there being senators in there having discussions and meaningful discussions to practically nothing in the last 20 years. they got to keep fundraising or um, the committee work's happening or they're not even there, you know. Fly in on Tuesday, fly out on Thursday. Where are we having real arguments? And some folks won't even have arguments anymore. Well, because they're fixed-minded. The growth-minded Uh, people are, well, I have my beliefs, my core convictions, and I'm going down a path uh, in a pursuit of truth. But if you have a better idea that's better than one that I have, that exposes a fallacy or a problem in what I believe or think, I'm open to it. Some people just aren't open to it anymore. And when all you see in Washington is the continual back and forth in the fight, we end up cheering on the people fighting that look sound and Wear the same badge as us instead of asking the real questions. Well, what's actually going on here? Let's take a step back. How did we get to here? How do we get to this point? What are the facts? It's um, compromise is not a bad word. And it seems like it has become that. And I think, honestly, I think you go back to social media, Jonathan Heights points on social media. Being something that tears apart institutions because we've lost the the common denominator has to be lowered so much, because now elected officials in Congress have to care about what their that their followers are retweeting or tweeting at them or how they're being portrayed by um, you know these uh, social media campaigns. That's all campaigns really are now. It's a bunch of media, and so instead of being able to get locked in a room for 12 hours and actually hammer out meaningful legislation. They've got to respond to keep the 140 characters flowing. So true meaningful work probably, uh, well, true meaningful work isn't getting done, which uh, probably means true meaningful relationships aren't being crafted, formed, and shaped among the lawmakers themselves. Well, when you don't have a relationship with somebody, it's really easy to throw them under the bus. Or to have zero empathy, or to not understand where they're coming from. So, it's um, the religion of Trumpism is very interesting. I hope we go away from it. I hope it's going to have its devout followers. The devout followers who, no matter what you can tell them, will not reject any will not reject anything about Trump. He he is their savior. He is their political savior. And it's sad because that's not what America is. America does not have political saviors. When we were set up, Washington chose to step down. as our first president after two terms, right? Why? Because that's the right thing to do. We don't follow men or women, for that matter. We follow the collective good for our country, And we have people that step into roles That carry that torch Move the flag forward For periods of time But it's bigger than them And I think maybe that's what the issue was I think I think Trump definitely felt like Trump's bigger than the presidency I think many of his followers Feel like he's bigger than the presidency And that's not How our presidency should be defined So Where does it come from as we wrap up here? The Enneagram is pretty interesting. I found it to be very helpful. My wife and I use it a lot um, kind of in talking about each other. Trump is an eight. Let me talk about some of the other eights here just so you have some idea. Um, Let's see. FDR was an eight. Winston Churchill was an eight. Fidel Castro, MLK Jr., Lyndon Johnson, Mikhail Gorbachev, Saddam Hussein, John McCain, Picasso. Um, Boy, let's get some. Frank Sinatra, John Wayne, Rosie O'Donnell. Uh, Donald Trump's favorite person, Uh, Dr. Phil, Tony Soprano, the um, fictitious character, Um, Matt Damon, Alec Baldwin, Barbara Walters, Jack Nicholson. Okay, you get the point. So now you kind of understand who these people are. These are uh, eights, and um, the eight is a challenger because they enjoy taking on challenges themselves as well as giving others the opportunity to challenge them to exceed themselves in some way which I find very interesting. So when you think of the healthiest, and I'm going to post this in the show notes so you can have it, there are um, levels, level one through nine. Level one, when an eight is at their best, let me just read this description. When an eight is at their best, they become self-restrained and magnanimous, merciful and forbearing, mastering self through their self-surrender, to a higher authority, courageous, willing to put self in serious jeopardy to achieve their vision and have a lasting influence, may achieve true heroism and historical greatness. Wow. Level two, self-assertive, self-confident, and strong. Have learned to stand up for what they need and want. Resourceful, can-do attitude, passionate inner drive. Level three, decisive, authoritative, and commanding. The natural leader others look up to. They take initiative. They make things happen. They champion people. They're a provider. They're protective. They're honorable. They're carrying others with their strength. So you read through this and you're like, okay, the list of names that I read earlier, I can see where that happens. And some that are healthier than others, the healthiest, yeah, it makes more sense. Those who aren't as healthy, you see glimmers of it, wishing more was there. But instead, you hear more of this. And these are the unhealthy levels where... They develop delusional ideas about their power, their invincibility, and their ability to prevail. Megalomania, feeling omnipotent, invulnerable. They're recklessly overextending themselves. If they get in danger, they may brutally destroy everything that is not conformed to their will rather than surrender to anyone else. Vengeful, barbaric, murderous, sociopathic tendencies generally corresponds to the antisocial personality disorder. That's the worst. That's the absolute bottom of the barrel. Level nine, unhealthy. When you start to get there... So what is a level six? Just because I know you're wondering. They become highly combative and intimidating and get their way. They're confrontational, belligerent. They create adversarial relationships. You know? Level five, they begin to dominate their environment, including others. They want to feel that the others are behind them, supporting their efforts. So... Donald Trump is an eight. Donald Miller again said, uh, had a really great thing. If I can find it, I'll post it. If not, um, this link and this um, analysis here on the Enneagram Type Eight will be helpful. Donald Trump is an eight, and I think he's more on the unhealthy level of eight. And so I think it's important for us to know where we are. Where are you on the spectrum on the Enneagram? And uh, maybe you're, you're not an eight, right? Maybe you're a, a six. Maybe you're a two. Maybe you're a nine. We all want to be nines. Yeah, you'll learn this when you, when you see them there at the top. We all just look up to them. Um, but the Enneagram is pretty, pretty powerful. It, um, it kind of shows which, which group you, uh, which type you gravitate towards for growth, which one you gravitate toward for stress. Um, and it could be a great way for you to help manage uh, yourself personally and the relationships that are most important to you. So, this has uh, run a little long, but I appreciate you tuning in. It's very, it's a very interesting time that we're living in. And um, Trumpism, I think, is more than just populism, it's become a religion. And I think that's where we made the mistake. We look to our president. And many looked at him to provide more than just being an office holder. And, well, we're reaping those effects. What do you think? Chief at ericdeemshow.com. Let me know what you think. I'm there and at Eric Deem Show on the socials.